Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. Um, I'm excited today to be here with our two co-hosts, um, Dr. Sajin Bakta and Dr. Patil Armenian. Hi. Hi, everyone. And we have a special guest with us, um, paramedic Chris Zaychek, and uh, he is here to talk to us about diabetic emergencies. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of American's family. Help is on the way, got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path, this is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. So, Chris, tell us about yourself. So, I've been uh, in EMS since 93. Uh, I've been a paramedic here in Fresno County for 20 years. I'm currently a field supervisor here at American Ambulance. Is Fresno home for you, or did you come here? I was born and raised in Fresno. Oh, good. I currently live in Reedley. Uh, after I got married, my wife forced me to leave this great city of Fresno. <laughs> Reedley's amazing. It it's is amazing. amazing. We I, even have our own beach. That's it's right. Cool. That's right. Off the river. That's amazing. Right. Uh, well, thank you for being here. Thank you for willing to share your story. So sure. please go ahead and tell us about your diabetic emergency story. We got the call from dispatch for unresponsive Um I know the address well. I, I have responded on this patient before. Uh, so I already knew that he was uh, probably having a diabetic emergency only because I know his history. It's not the first time I've dealt with him. Uh, when we arrived, uh, he was altered. Uh, he was confused to place and time, but he still knew who he was. Uh, I checked his blood sugar. It came back uh, in the 30s, uh, which is very low. We like it to have it at least 80 or above uh, for our patients. We administered some oral glucose initially because he was still talking uh, fine, so I knew he had a good gag reflex. I wasn't worried about him choking. Uh, during that time, uh, I was able to start an IV. Um, the oral glucose didn't change anything in his mental status, uh, so I went ahead and administered the D50. Uh, which brought him back to his normal. His sugar was now uh, in the 200s from the uh, ampule of D50. Uh, and he wanted to stay home. Uh, this was a patient who knew his history very well as a diabetic and felt that he didn't need to go to the hospital. Uh, the issue with this patient is, is he's uh, what we like to refer to as a brittle diabetic, meaning he has a difficult time controlling his blood sugar. Um, and I'm, I know this from previous treatments for him. Um, so I had a talk with him, uh, explained to him that, you know, your blood sugar is probably going to drop down again very quickly. Uh, and we should probably take you up to the hospital so they can monitor you. And, th and th that that's it, exactly what ended up happening after a pretty extensive conversation with him. Uh, he, he agreed that he needed to be monitored at the hospital. So we assisted him out uh, to the gurney. By this time, he's still alert, uh, oriented, uh, with with no slurred speech or um, any trouble with his gait. Uh, so we assisted him out to the ambulance where we secured him and ended up taking him into the hospital so that the doctors could keep a, keep a closer eye on him. Great. Now, do you know if he was on just insulin or was he on any other medications? Uh, he takes metformin. 
for his diabetes. Uh, and he has a bunch of other medications as well that he takes for other conditions. Great questions from the group. I think that was really great. You had a very methodical approach to um, step-by-step to treatment. You started with the oral glucose. You moved on to the IV, um, utilizing your time and your resources effectively. I thought that was great. Um, Again, you have that history. Um, What are some things when you go to the house and maybe you don't have that history? What are things you're looking for or history that you might want to get from the family before you transport? Right. I I always like to get a sense of how the patient manages their diabetes. Um, Family members are good experts on that. Um, Did they have dinner? Did they have their normal amount of dinner before they took their insulin last night? Those are all important questions to lead to. Um, Do they seem to have a problem controlling their blood sugar? Um, Family members are, are great resources for that. Sometimes we don't have it. Sometimes the it's only the patient that's there. Um, and so you you really try to get as much history as you can. I got a question for you, Chris. Sure. So um, a lot of times our patients, you know, especially in the era of COVID, don't want to go to the hospital. And you mentioned you had an extensive discussion with him to get him to come in, which was the great and the perfect thing to do. Uh, can you like use some of your phrases from your lots of experience of how you get people to come in? Sure. Um, I I don't like to use the word scare tactics, but it's important that people understand the greatest risk that they're taking. So with diabetics, that could be coma, uh, stroke, heart attack, uh, lots of lots of things that can kill you. Uh, and they need to understand that. All right, Chris, another uh, question for you. So um, why did you take the extra time? You know, you said he's a brittle diabetic. You've been out there multiple times. You know, a lot of other medics in your same uh, position might have just said, oh, we know this guy. You know, we see him all the time. Let's give him D50 and um, let him be and not really like, push the envelope. So what made you? Well, we should always be good patient advocates, right? It's it's our job to not really educate them, but it's our job to keep them as safe as we can. And if they're making a poor medical decision, uh, for themselves, then we we need to take that opportunity to try to reverse that. Well, I really appreciate you doing that and going the extra step and not getting jaded after 20 years. So it's good that, um, to still care. But yeah, his history of metformin is very, very concerning. And uh, we'll go into that a little bit in the podcast. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming in and sharing your story with us. Sure. My pleasure. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about diabetic emergencies um, and how these low glucose levels kind of relate to a dysregulated system and how this can happen. And let's talk about some stats. Sajin, I always pick on you for our, our stats, man. So tell us, tell us what's going on in the world. Sure. So first, let's talk about just in general, um, there was a study that looked at all diabetic hypoglycemic calls from 2006 to 2009. And there were about 300,000 of these cases that presented to the emergency department in just three years. So that's a lot. Here at American Ambulance, we have about 33,000 AccuCheck's performed since just January of 2019. So that's about 2,000 checks a month. And unfortunately, 40% of the calls that had to give dextrose for a low AccuCheck or low blood sugar were left at home. Unfortunately, so 40 out of 100 cases of people who needed sugar that were critically low, needed sugar by EMS providers, were left at home and did not get transported to the hospital. Patil, what are some of the dangers of leaving these people at home? 
I guess the worry is that they're just going to drop their sugar again. So you're not necessarily sitting around watching them for hours. So who knows what's going to happen to their sugar and are they going to need to be transported to a hospital later? Um, and in fact, um, they they usually are. Um, studies show that kids and adults over the age of 60 who are not transported, so that RMCT, are likely to recall 911 within 24 hours and then actually get admitted to a hospital for their condition. So basically, if you're a kid or if you're an older person, um, they're sicker than they look. You have to think, well, what's even causing this? And so be really wary um, to leave them at home and not transport them. And there was a great study in 2018 um, out of Scandinavia that looked at a 1,000 patients, and they sent an EMS team, which involved a nurse and a paramedic. And when they went on scene for an assessment, and they did an assessment and did not transport it of those, 25% ended up going to the hospital within 24 hours. That's a lot of people needing an admission soon. So even though I know patients sometimes don't want to go, I think we need to really stress to them that they might need medical care given that uh, it's a diabetic emergency. Um, so if you're going to leave an elderly person behind, I'd like to advise the crews listening just to think about like a hot potato, right? Don't be the last person with a hot potato um, in your hands. Use all your resources. Um, you can call, uh, talk to their family members, make sure you explain all the risks of staying at home, like Chris did in his case, like really talking to the guy and make sure and he knows everything that's available to him and the risks that might be happening. And then you can always call base if you're really concerned. Um, And I know some people are just going to make bad decisions and stay at home and we can't force them to go, but it's just really nice making sure to ensure them of what might happen because their chance of dying is much higher. And just to put this in the greater context of all people refusing um, EMS transport to hospitals, um, there was a study done in Annals of Emergency Medicine in 2003 where they looked at um, all the EMS calls in the state of Utah, because um, they have a statewide EMS system, they were able to analyze 270,000 calls. 20% of those patients who refused transport had a subsequent EMS dispatch within a week. Um, and then among anyone older than age 64 or less than three, they had a pretty high need for hospitalization. Um, and of the people who died within days of EMS um, not transporting them, 76% were over 64 years old. So this is exactly what Danielle is referring to. Like, think about them as that kind of hot potato. Nobody wants to be the last person holding it. Exactly. Now let's do some definitions. I know we talked about insulin resistance, insulin deficiency. What's the difference? Diabetes typically is thought of uh, type 1 and type 2. Uh, type 1 diabetes is when the patient is just not making enough insulin on their own. They are insulin deficient. And in type 2 diabetes, those people are making insulin, but their body's resistant to the insulin that they're making. So we call them insulin resistant. Uh, So type 1 is insulin deficient, meaning they don't have enough. And type 2 is insulin resistant, meaning they have some, but it's just not working very well. And then when I think of diabetic emergencies, I think of two kinds. I think of the low sugar, which we kind of talked about with Chris's case. So we talked about too low, it's hypoglycemia, or too high uh, of sugar. So the person who's confused and has a super high hyperglycemic emergencies. Today, we're mostly going to focus on hypoglycemia, but there is one um, that usually has a high sugar, and that's DKA I'd like to talk about for a minute. 
Yeah, so DKA is basically when you don't have enough insulin um, and then your liver has to break down fat into ketones for energy. And so there, so sometimes people say they can smell the ketones on someone. They have this fruity smell. Well, those are the ketones that these people are producing um, and that can uh, basically cause profound acidosis and they get so, so acidotic that they get really sick from it um, and can die. And then the other thing that can happen is sometimes your sugar is just really, really, really high. Um, and that um, is not associated with ketosis. So they're not acidotic, but the sugar is so high um, that they get very dehydrated and very altered from it. And so that's called um, HHNS, hyperosmolar hyperglycemic non-ketotic syndrome, uh, which is basically like they can be in a coma from it. Um, so these are the things that we worry about when someone's blood sugar is too high. So Sajan, tell us what does a DKA patient look like? So DKA, I'm not sure if we defined it earlier, but it's diabetic ketoacidosis, uh, which means that a diabetic has a lot of that metabolism that causes ketones, and those ketones eventually cause acidosis, and the patient gets very sick. And the typical presentation for DKA is a type 1 diabetic um, that starts to not feel well, generalized fatigue, will start to probably have some abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, and then they'll develop this small breathing, which is this deep and fast breathing, and they're actually trying to breathe out a lot of these ketones, and you can, some people can smell it in their breath, and eventually they'll, they can become confused and uh, lethargic, and that's really when we start to worry that something really bad is going to happen. Now, on that Kuzma breathing, um, I feel like some people confuse that with like an anxiety attack or someone who's short of breath. But if I'm short of breath, I'm breathing shallow and rapid. And if I'm anxious, it's shallow and rapid. But if it's Kuzmal, it's deep and rapid. And that's a very interesting thing to watch people breathe super deep and fast. It's one of those things that once you see it once and see how different it looks, it kind of sticks with you. So you just got to see it one time and then you're like, there it is, Kuzmal breathing. And then a lot of times DKA and HHNS are precipitated by something. So it could be medication noncompliance, which we like to assume a lot of the times. But most of the time it's due to an infection, an MI, you know, some kind of systemic insult, um, substance use, pancreatitis, something else. So the sugar is just like a symptom of their overall presentation. So we don't really figure out exactly what's causing it until we get them in. We do lots of blood tests, lots of things in the emergency department um, to figure out what's causing this. And... Notice that we haven't really talked about numbers here. Um, these diseases can happen uh, in a wide range of glucose values. So you don't have to be have a sugar of 600 to be in DKA. You can have a sugar of 300 or um, you don't have to have a sugar of 20 to be hypoglycemic. It can be around 50. Um, so it's just really important to take the clinical context into account and make sure that we're doing the best thing for the patient, not just treating a number. Right. And then I, as a physician, and tell me what you guys think, are more concerned when people have low sugars than high sugars. So when I get an AccuCheck and it's 400 and the person looks fine, like, yeah, does that diabetes not well controlled, but I'm not worried that they're going to die today. But when their sugar is, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, something that we have to give them sugar for, when I know they look like a normal person, they're not emaciated, they have some, they should have glycogen storages in their liver, they should have a muscle mass that they could break down fat. It's like, so why is our body not able to do that? Then I get more worried. How about you guys? Oh, definitely. Because those are the people that get like altered more, they seize, they can die. And so that's um, really a really big emergency in my mind. 
And again, as we'll talk about, these, this really is a symptom of something underlying what's causing them to become hypoglycemic. Um, typically, there's some sort of infection or some medication overuse or they haven't been eating well, which is another symptom of something else going on. So I think um, that's why it's a little more worrisome as well. Yeah, and let's go through the symptoms of hypoglycemia because a lot of times the patients don't just come out and be like, hey, my sugar's low. I mean, some do. They know they know their body. They know what's going on. But, you know, some of the early signs can be just like sweating or shaky or they feel hungry. They can get anxious or irritable. Um, now, people who are on other medications, it can blunt those symptoms sometimes. Um, and then it progresses, right? Like Apatil talked about earlier, they can get confused. They can have slurred speech. You actually can think they're having a stroke. They can get irrational and run in traffic and have like this uncontrolled behavior that gets disoriented. They can pass out. Um, and then they finally seize and get really altered. And I think when they're super seizing or they're super altered, that's the easy case, right? It's in your protocol. You go through it. It's the, I'm just sweaty and don't feel good. That is the hardest one, I think, to figure out exactly why, why it's going on. Now, Patil, you are a toxicologist. We had to pick on your toxicology brain. Um, I, I know a lot of common triggers of hypoglycemia can be infection and other things. But um, what about the medications, the other medicines they're on that we should be worried about? So um, when someone's diabetic, they're going to be on some different types of medications. So first, either they're going to be on insulins, which can be long-acting or short-acting. Often they're on both long-acting and short-acting insulins. And then you have all the pills, okay? And so in the pill class of diabetic medications, we have a group of medicines that actually lower your blood sugar, um, and that's how they work. So those are all the sulfonylureas. So that's going to be your glyburide, glipizide, glimepiride. Anything that sounds like a gl is going to be a sulfonylurea. Um, and those actually stimulate your pancreas to secrete insulin and lower your sugar that way. Um, and then you have um, all your GLUT2 transporters, transporter inhibitors. And these are, this is a newer class of medications. These are what I like to call the glitazones. So anything that ends in glitazone. Um, so some of these they've heard of. Oh, like or the yeah, So the glitazones, glyphlazins, and all the, just think again, all the gluz. You hear a gluh. In a, in a medication name, it's going to be something that's going to lower your blood sugar. Um, just think GLA for glucose, right? And so these are all medications that are act by lowering the blood sugar. And then you have some other really common medicines like metformin. Metformin is a biguanide. It doesn't necessarily lower your blood sugar. But um, if somebody does have pretty bad renal failure to begin with, um, they can have some mild hypoglycemia-like effects. Uh, more importantly, if they have renal failure and even with like a regular dose of metformin, if their kidneys just took a hit, they can have a really bad lactic acidosis. And remember, these people are going to be on multiple medications. And so you don't know necessarily what they're on um, all the time, but you just have to know that um, that when it comes to pill diabetic medications, they're going to last a long time. Um, and so in my mind, um, even if somebody says they're on oral diabetic medications, if their blood sugar drops, they're probably going to need to be transported to the hospital every single time because these medications stick around. So um, some of us are taught to think about long-acting insulin as something that sticks around. Yeah, like Lantus, that sticks around for 24 hours. So if somebody's blood sugar is dropping from that, 
they're going to have to be monitored for a while. And just think the same way for pill medication. So if somebody is on a sulfonylurea especially, but really any of the diabetic pill medications, they're going to have to be watched for a long time. And often what we see is that when their sugar drops from um, a pill medication, it's not that they overdosed, and it's not that they took the medicine wrong. Um, It's really that something else happened that they can't excrete it well anymore. So maybe they got a little dehydrated and their kidneys took a hit, right? Maybe they have an infection like a UTI, and again, their kidneys took a hit. For some reason, their kidneys aren't working as well as they were before. So all of these medicines are renally excreted, which means now you can't get rid of these medicines. So your kidneys don't work, you can't get rid of these medicines. And so even one regular dose is gonna stick around longer and will cause hypoglycemia for 24 hours. Um, and so, so these aren't even overdose cases. It's just that their regular medicine is just sticking around in their bodies for longer. And so we have to take that seriously. And insulin also is cleared by the kidneys, right? So um, I always feel like it's interesting. You know, we have a lot of diabetes, especially in Fresno County, and we have a lot of end-stage renal disease because of it. So their kidneys don't work and they're on dialysis. And then they're on insulin, which is only cleared by the kidneys that they don't have or don't have functioning. And so it's kind of like a setup for disaster. So I'd love for any of the crews listening that if you have a patient that has any kind of kidney problems or is a diabetic, so if you hear the word diabetic, you just assume they have kidney problems because it always affects the kidneys, that their insulin is not going to get cleared well. And then they're on these oral hypoglycemic agents that aren't going to get cleared well. And so it's kind of a setup for disaster. Yeah. I mean, these patients are really hard to hard to manage. Um, they have a tough time managing their own sugars themselves. It's It's just for the reasons why you're outlining, it's just very difficult because of their kidney failure that they often have. And I feel like, you know, we live in hot Fresno, it's hot outside, you get a little dehydrated, your your kidneys take a tiniest hit for the average person who's healthy and not on any medicine, that'd be no big deal. You'd feel yucky for one day and get better. But for someone who's got chronic kidney disease or mild kidney disease, you can exacerbate that. And all of a sudden, the normal insulin they take every day now stays long too long, or the oral meds aren't digested as well by those kidneys. And then now they're calling 911 because they are altered. And then when it comes to the oral medications, we're not just giving them sugar. I know we're going to talk about treatment in a little bit. um, And most of our treatment consists of giving them some form of sugar, whether it's like glucose tablets or, you know, dextrose IV, what have you. But when it comes to sulfonylurea medication, for example, um, we actually rely on specific antidotes uh, to treat those. And our main antidote being octreotide, which is a medication that directly stops insulin secretion from the pancreas. So octreotide is an exact antidote for sulfonylureas. Which is um, for a reminder is the glipizides, glyburides, and glimepiride, right? Correct. Yeah. So glipizide, glyburide, glimepirides of the world. Um, and And so those are people that actually dextrose doesn't work great on you, give it, their sugar immediately drops again. It just keeps dropping until they get the specific antidote, which then kind of smooths them out and regulates their sugar. Now, I read a study that says sulfonylurea, so these glipizides, glyburides are the most common non-insulin medications to cause hypoglycemia. Do you agree with that or do you think it's another medicine? No, it's definitely sulfonylureas. (laughs) Yes, we see it all the time. Um, And then for kids, um, even if a kid Um, accidentally eats one pill of a sulfonylurea, so like a three-year-old just accidentally gets into one glyburide pill, that can cause profound hypoglycemia for 24 hours and actually can cause death. Wow. 
So those always need to be transported. So the take-home point I'm hearing kind of early in the this podcast <laughs> is oral hypoglycemics all go to the hospital or you should be calling into base so that the doctor can on the line and talk them into coming because they're on an oral hypoglycemic. Exactly. So getting those meds are really, really important. Yeah, I actually just had a case yesterday of a patient who knew he was feeling sick and so actually didn't take his insulin for the day, just took his sulfonylurea and ended up hypoglycemic and persistently hypoglycemic after some dextrose IV and we were feeding him and for a few hours he kept dropping into the 50s. So we had to we had to admit him and he thought he was doing the right thing by controlling his insulin use and his sugar use, but um, it can happen even with your normal dose. So you talked about you gave him some D50 or you oh, in the hospital you gave him your AMPA D50. So how many calories are in an AMPA D50? Yeah, so we think we're giving a lot of sugar when we give this D50. Um, Typically, in one amp of D50, you can you give 25 grams of dextrose, um, which is about 100 calories. So that's not too much. I mean, we can eat 100 calories in like a peach or a, a <laughs> half of a Snicker bar. A right? Snickers yeah. bar is 200 and I think 250 calories. Yeah, so. that's a half of a Snicker. That's a little uh, Halloween Snicker bar. Yeah, it's like a fun <laughs> size. <laughs> right. So uh, these patients will also need complex carbs, but. The, the initial thing we give them through the IV will hopefully stabilize them for a few minutes while we can figure out what's going on and get them to a safe place. Right. I think that is really important to note that in my mind, I used to feel like, oh, we gave them D50. They're going to be good for a long time. And really, in your mind, it's 100 calories. So think about you're running a marathon. Your body's trying to burn up all this um, is, is going fast and you can only give it 100 calories, like that's not going to last you too many more steps. So that's why I think in EMS, it's really important that you're not staying there for the second, third and fourth acute check when they're saying, I don't want to go, right? You're like, hey, I got to go do another call. I'm leaving. And so they need to know that they need to get somewhere where we can keep checking it and we can start that D5 drip or D10 drip in the hospital that they can be on for a day if they need to be. Yeah. And typically once they get to the hospital, all of these patients um, as a routine, we will be doing uh, Q1 hour AccuChecks. So it's pretty frequent. Right. And then a lot of them, if they're on like beta blockers or some other medication, they might not feel the jitteriness or the palpitations or the sweatiness that would say, hey, I'm my sugar's low. And so then they just have another altered episode. And so that's why we just check them routinely. All right. So let's talk about who's at high risk for hypoglycemic episodes. You guys, um, Patil, you mentioned, you know, people with kidney disease, um, but there was a great study out of Kaiser. You know, I love Kaiser because they follow all their patients and track them all. This was um, a study that looked at a prediction tool for hypoglycemia among greater than 200,000 Kaiser patients and, and also in the VA system. And these are all patients with type 2 diabetes. And so if they had any of these high risk factors, um, their hypoglycemic rate was 7% more than everybody else's. So if they used insulin, if they'd been to an ED before for a hypoglycemic event, if they had kidney disease, if they were old, um, a higher age, if they said a greater than 65, and a past hypoglycemic episode. So um, that's a lot of our patients, right? There's a lot of people calling 911. So if you're going on them, like Chris mentioned, oh, I've been to that house many times, just remember their incidence of having another hypoglycemic attack is uh, very high. Um, okay, so Danielle, why don't you walk us through the protocol that somebody would be using for this, which I guess would be the altered mental status protocol. Is that right? Yeah, so correct. The classic uh, protocol I think they're going to be on would be altered mental status, but really they could be on a lot. You know, someone could come out and just say, I feel dizzy. And then it's like, well, there's not really a dizziness protocol, right? So there's not really a generalized weakness protocol. Um, but 
you know, really on the medic's discretion, they can check an accu check. Um, but really, once they're altered, so once they're a little confused, they're going to be on the altered mental status, possible stroke and syncope protocol. Um, so that kind of goes through, you know, your, they're going to assess, you're going to do their ABCs. They're going to secure the airway if they need to, oxygen, put on a monitor. They're going to think naloxone, are they altered because of intoxication? Gets down to IV access and then accu check. So accu check isn't super high on the list, but it's on there. And then um, once they get their accu check, you know, in the protocol, it talks about giving D50. Now, I know there's a D50 shortage. So hopefully if we have D50 back, you'd be giving your uh, D50 dose, your 25 grams IV if they're altered. They also can give glucagon, which we didn't really talk about glucagon, but you can give one milligrams, which is one ml intranasally. So Patila toxicologist, tell us what glucagon does. So glucagon um, stimulates gluconeogenesis in the liver, which basically makes glucose be produced from glycogen stores in the liver. So that means a process has to happen. Um, metabolism has to happen in order for your sugar to start coming up. So glucagon, um, it works, but it just takes time to work. So often it doesn't give us that fast response that dextrose does because dextrose is just you're just giving straight up sugar and so you're going to see a response much faster than with glucagon and then with dextrose also um, sometimes they just use the oral paste you know like that oral gel and that is great if they're still conscious and you don't think they're gonna like gag or choke on it um, and that can get to them fast but now there's a special memo that came out from our ems agency because of the d50 shortage and so when adults are going to give d10 in a 250 ml bag and then just let that run in and so wide open. So that also takes a little bit more time than the D50. Um, I think we went through the calorie counts. And so the calorie count of a D10 is still not very much. It's still... I think 250 mLs of D10 is 100 calories. So, okay. Yeah, it's like the equivalent of an amp of D50. So it'd be very similar to the small amount of sugar you're giving them. And so the biggest point is that we're just upping them a tiny bit um, enough to, you know, your brain needs to have oxygen and it needs to have sugar to work. And so we don't want them to seize and trying to prevent that. But they still need more proteins, more fat, something else to increase their blood sugar. Let's talk about pediatrics for a minute. Um, you know, they with the D10, it gets a little more complicated. So they're going to do their D10 in a 250 ml bag. And then they're going to administer 5 mLs per kilo. And now that's a lot of math to do under duress when you have an altered child. So there's a nice little pediatric glucose card stuck in the bag right by the 250 mLs. Just follow that based on the kilograms to tell you how much to give. Um, and that makes the uh, administration of pediatric D10 much easier. And then when you're assessing like an altered patient for the first time, just quickly scan their wrists for bracelets or their necklace or their neck for a necklace that just has their medical history on it because um, that could even give it away for you pretty quickly. Right, because there's a lot of people that they are found down um, and they'll be wearing their bracelet that says either it's a bad allergy or they'll say I'm a diabetic and that way you can kind of jump straight to the AccuCheck and giving them sugar. All right, so let's jump to take-home points. Um, Sajin, if anyone remembers one thing from this podcast, what do you want them to remember? Hypoglycemia is a major problem, especially for those over 64 and those under 3. These patients really, really, really need help, and they need to be transported, and they're really high risk um, for potential complications if we don't help them. Patil. Um, my take-home point is if they're on pill medications for their diabetes, so especially sulfonylureas like glyburide, glipizide, glimepiride, or any of the glitazones, um, basically, if they're on pill medications for diabetes, just err on the side of transporting them because those medications are going to stick around for a while and cause hypoglycemia for a long time. 
And my take home point is that just think of hypoglycemia as a symptom of something bigger. It's not its own entity that can easily be fixed. So we need to figure out why this happened. Um, you know, is it infection? Is it new renal failure? Is it an MI? And so they need to go to a hospital and seek medical care to, to do the underlying investigation of why this is happening. So just think hypoglycemia is a symptom. All right. Thanks, everyone. And thanks again, Chris, for joining us today. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, and we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.